0: You're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Jerry Morris, EMT, paramedic, and operations manager for Carolina Med One. Today we're going to be discussing a new innovation to meet disaster medical needs. Jerry, thank you very much for joining us. Could you tell me a little bit about what is Carolina Med One?
1: Well, Carolina's Med-1 is a rapidly deployable mobile emergency department, hence the MED-1 mobile emergency department. And the 1 is because we're the first in the nation so far to have this kind of capability. We can deploy to an area and rapidly become a hospital with all the care capabilities of a Level 1 trauma center.
0: How is this different than the other rapidly deployed units that we now see?
1: Most of the other rapidly deployed units are based in with tents or based with some kind of containers that are hooked together and linked up. We're totally self-contained, and from the time we stop our truck, we select a site, we park the truck, 18 minutes later, we can have a, a, that fully functional emergency department up, the two OR beds, the four critical care beds, and the regular gen, general uh, med-surgical beds.
0: Do you have any capability to actually have inpatient hospital care?
1: What we can deploy, once the main hospital is deployed, we can put a a tent over the outside of that that has a footprint of about 110 by 90 feet. So that gives us enough space. We can add another extra 120 beds. So we can actually become a 134-bed hospital.
0: Who staffs your hospital?
1: Primarily, the the inside of the hospital is staffed by Carolina's uh, medical center personnel, nurses, physicians, when we deploy for a long-term or if we deploy and we know we're going we're gonna to be putting the tent out for, uh, for extended care, we're going to need uh, support from the state of North Carolina or from whoever deploys us. We've been supported from uh, by DMAT teams. We've been supported by the state medical assistance teams in here in
0: North Carolina. But we'd have to
1: have that kind of support to, to be operational as, as that size of a
0: hospital. Jerry, who funds your hospital?
1: Initially, the hospital was designed and built based on a grant from Homeland Security. And right now, we're funded, uh, again, with some continuing grants some monies that come from state and federal agencies. And then once we deploy, our costs would then probably be, de- be covered by whoever deploys, as well. again, whether it's state or federal.
0: Has your unit ever been deployed?
1: We were deployed three days after Hurricane Katrina hit. We uh, got through the bit of red tape to get deployed, got through the mess of the roads, and we were finally deployed to Waveland and the Bay St. Louis, Mississippi area. That was ground zero for Hurricane Katrina. The eastern eye wall passed directly over Waveland. So we were deployed really truly to the heart of the storm.
0: When you were deployed to Katrina, did you drive the truck or were you transported by air or rail or do you have that capability?
1: Yes, we we have the capability of rail transport. We have the capability of air transport. But in this case, we drove. We drove from Charlotte, North Carolina, to our deployment destination in Waveland. And we had support from the state of North Carolina there. So we drove from here in a 27-vehicle convoy with red lights all the way from here to Mississippi. And it was quite a sight going down the interstate at night.
0: What was your first impression when you first got to Mississippi?
1: I've traveled around the world a lot. I've seen a lot of disasters. I've seen a lot of very bad situations. And nothing I had ever seen prepared me for what I saw in Waveland in, in the Bay St. Louis area. I saw true and total devastation. Houses that used to be there were nothing but foundations. Well, I grew up in the Midwest, so we'd have a tornado and two or three houses out of a neighborhood would be destroyed and, and lives would be ruined. But this wasn't two or three houses. This was 20 or 30 or 40 miles of just pure devastation along the coast.
0: Do they have a local hospital that was still functioning.
1: Well, we deployed towards uh, Hancock County. Hancock County Hospital was totally unfunctional. It was a primarily a one-story hospital. Second story had some patient beds, but mostly administrative functions. And the bottom floor of that hospital had about four and a half or five feet of water, so their brand new MRI machine was inundated with salt water. Their ED was inundated with salt water. Their lab, their ORs, everything had been covered in salt water. So the hospital was was totally unfunctional.
0: Once you were up and running, how many patients were you seeing per day?
1: In the 41 days, we saw 7,400 patients. Our biggest day was a little over 350 patients, and that day was a was a 12-hour day because uh, they still had a curfew going on, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. curfew. So in 12 hours, we saw over 350 patients.
0: If you have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and with me is Jerry Morris, operations manager of Carolina MedOne, a new approach to dealing with disasters in the United States or across the world. In your hospital itself, do you have security measures so that when you do get to an area, the hospital itself can have some type of security?
1: One of the concepts that we wanted to kind of play on with everything that we we did with the hospital was that 72 hours of self-sufficiency. What we didn't want to do is come into a situation where there's been a disaster, where the medical and the police and all those systems are already overloaded and say, uh, here we are to help. But, by the way, we're going to need some water. We're going to need some police protection. We're going to need this. We are going to, We didn't want to do that. So our self-sufficiency package incorporates uh, the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. When we deploy, CMPD deploys with us. They give us a, a contingent of anywhere from four to six or eight, eight personnel, and they provide security for the hospital proper. So we, we bring our own.
0: Your staff, how did they respond to the stress of meeting this situation?
1: We were a little bit neglectful, and I guess that we just didn't think about it, the mental health side of this, uh, especially for our staff. By about the second week, one of the things that I realized was when we got a new crew in, and and our staff rotated every week. When we got a new crew in, I made a point to put them in one of our vehicles and drive them around the area so that they could see the area, so they could appreciate what we were actually there working for. And I think they had a big impact on the people. I think they understood better, you know, what they were seeing and why they were seeing these people and and what these people had actually had to go through.
0: When you returned home, how did the team feel about what they had contributed to meeting this disaster and the needs of the people?
1: Well, I I would be probably remiss in not, not mentioning the people of Mississippi. The people that we treated were some of the kindest, most caring, most Honest people I've ever met in my life. They were just so wonderful. They came to us in EMS or in, in the emergency department. Sometimes we we become kind of kind of hardened to what we see. We see the same old people every day with the same old complaints, and the, you know, it just kind of gets, I guess, boring. Or you know, where we just don't have the same feeling that we had when we graduated from paramedic school or when we graduated from nursing school. It, you know, it's almost like we don't care as much, and and, and really, I guess in reality we don't. But These people who came to us came to us not demanding things from us but asking for help and truly asking, you know, could we help them with their chest pain or could we help them with the nail they stepped on two weeks ago or could we just sit and talk to them for a few minutes. And and I think without exception, every one of us deployed felt that, that we really had done something for these people, that we had really made a difference. And I, for one, came back rejuvenated. I came back feeling like, you know what, like I just graduated from paramedic school, like I was ready to go out there and really, really see every patient and really treat every patient the way they deserve to be treated.
0: Yeah, a lot's being written that what happens to compassion within medical students as they advance through medical school and become physicians. And possibly this kind of experience reawakens some of the things that are lost as we become professionals and go through various events that may harden us. It certainly sounds like that.
1: I think that you just hit the nail right on the head there. That's exact. And it's a shame that it takes a disaster like this to make it to reawaken that in us. We all got into the medical field at our level as paramedics and nurses, you know, not to end up being rich out of it, but because we wanted to make a difference in the world. I think if you could you could keep that enthusiasm, you know, it's hard to keep that enthusiasm for very long, you know, for years and years and years of seeing the same thing. But this deployment kind of reminded me of what I'm supposed to really be doing here and who I'm really doing it for.
0: It's going to be almost two years since you've served in Mississippi. Does your team have any plans to go down to Mississippi to see Hancock County again, to see what has taken place since you've left?
1: Well, we deployed six months after that to New Orleans proper for a a surge during Mardi Gras, the first Mardi Gras back. And since then, we've been to New Orleans on two other occasions. And whenever I get down there, we usually make a point to drive over to Hancock County and see how things are progressing and see see how things are going along. Uh, and I've called the mayor's office a couple of times, uh, uh, Mayor Longo down there and, and talk to him and, and just, you know, kind of chat because I feel like I you know, I almost feel like I'm a part of that community now.
0: And probably your team feels the same way. Right. Why have you been deployed back to New Orleans?
1: During the first Mardi Gras after uh, after the storm, they realized kind of uh, well, I'm not sure if they realized it up front, but they realized, you know, Mardi Gras brings a lot of people into town and and a lot of people were coming into town to work, to rebuild, to find their homes or find what's left of their homes and their lives. And they had no infrastructure. Yeah, you know, University Hospital was closed, a Charity Hospital was closed and and will probably never reopen. So they had extremely extended wait times. At one point we were told that there was a 48-hour wait to get uh, to get a hospital bed. So once you got offloaded to an ED, it was going to be 48 hours. Once you were admitted, before you ever got into a bed in the hospital, so we went down there for a couple of weeks to relieve that, uh, at least during the Mardi Gras uh, time period. And at that same time period, or, or immediately following that, they were they were moving University Hospital, or what was what was left of it. They had set up a, a tent hospital, and they were they were kind of moving that, so it was going to be temporarily closed. So. We just went down there to relieve the uh, surge pressure.
0: We hear a lot about global health issues, and we hear a lot about Doctors Without Borders. But it seems like Carolina Med 1 met many of the same health issues that we see in the third world.
1: I agree with you. Um, I, again, you know, i spent a lot of time around the world, and that's what we had. We had no electricity. We had people living in tents or living in, you know, virtual cardboard boxes, Um Whatever they could piece together is where people lived. It, it was a third world country for a while there
0: when you got down there, did they have any nine eleven or ambulance services and or, or what happened to the nursing homes that must have existed in Hancock County?
1: Everybody that could leave Hancock County had left. It seemed some of the physicians had come back and spray painted new phone numbers on their on their buildings so they could be contacted. But there was so little infrastructure left i I can't imagine. In that entire community, those two towns, Bay St. Louis or or uh, Waveland, I can't in the 41 days I can't remember seeing a house that was untouched, and the majority of those houses were destroyed.
0: Is Hancock County Hospital now functional?
1: Yes, it is. It was coming back online, which is uh, is why after 41 days we uh, we redeployed back here to uh, to Charlotte. Hancock County was coming back online with the help of. Uh, of FEMA and, uh, and the state of Mississippi.
0: Well, I really have enjoyed talking to you. It's made me proud to be in the same profession as you. And so I'd like to thank you, and I really appreciate the time you've spent with us. I want to thank Jerry Morris, who is the operational manager for Carolina Med One, a new innovation in meeting disasters in our very own country. I'm Dr. Maurice Picker, and we've been listening to Clinicians Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.